hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <gasps> I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? This is the stupid answer. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Don't worry, I got an idea. And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Matthew Sack. Woohoo! Not that there's anything wrong with that. Because he has a lot of chit spot. <laughs> Alright. Hello and welcome to episode 336 of the Stupid Cancer Show, The Voice. What? Of Young Adult Cancer, I'm your host, Matthew Zachary, a proud 19-year young adult survivor of brain cancer, broadcasting now right here, right now, from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest support network for young adults affected by cancer online anytime at stupidcancer.org. My fabulous co-founder, Kenny Kane, on the road at the ETL conference, representing our interests to a whole bunch of really smart people. Uh, if he were here, he would say that he's welcoming all of our first time and returning listeners here to the Stupid Cancer Show. So never miss an episode by signing up for our newsletter and subscribing to the free podcast on SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, iTunes, and Blog Talk Radio. Okay, it's not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year, so... Got cancer? Under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the stupid cancer show is changing the world. One chemo infusion at a time. And tonight's show is no exception. We're going to speak tonight with the team behind Alive Again with Chester DeGiles, model and Alive Again organizer, Olympia Lee and Juan Bizell, runway coach which is a benefit fashion show created by the uh, by, by cancer survivors and for cancer survivors and survivor spotlights on the one and only Brandon Schwartz. Got a great story to tell us, too. Please uh, say hello to my crew here, Mallory Rivera, Sean Spiro. Hello. Hello. How you doing, guys? Swell. What Good. is happening? It's awfully cold. It's like four degrees. Yeah, it was minus. It felt like minus seventeen this morning. Yeah, it was. It was pretty cold. I have a um, I don't know, like an ante room to my balcony. It's like a little glass enclosed, like pre room, and it was intolerably cold. Usually, yeah. we, you know, we put up garbage in it. We just throw garbage out, whatever. You can't go in there. Yeah, I I happen to live in a basement room with a door to the outside. <clears throat> lots and lots of blankets. And Sean, you're in New York. You know, the Upper East Side is. Pretty much impossibly cold. Yeah. As, as, as much as the rest of everything. Despite the coldness, though, I did go to uh, Fogo de Chao, a Brazilian steakhouse, last night with the friends, and I still have the meat sweats, regardless of the cold. You know, funny story. I took Kenny to a, they used to be a churrascaria, like a couple of blocks away here, right in Tribeca. 
And he'd never gone, ever. He'd never been to one. So he had no idea what to prepare for. And he had to meet sweats. He, he, he ate more than I could have imagined a human capable of eating at a Brazilian Triscaria. But he, yeah, it has gone down in history as one of his epic digestive experiences. You have to go hungry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like not eat for a week and then just show up. Pretty much. It's like uh, <laughs> hibernating, you know, <laughs> that kind of deal. Well, he, he's got the, he has a stomach for it. He's, he's, he tolerates a lot of food very easily. Yeah. They did well. I'm really impressed. So good for you for going Brazilian. What? Huh? <laughs> I did not get a wax guy. No, you didn't. Let him That's okay. Make you think otherwise. Exactly. Anyway, I wanted to point out something really interesting in the um. We, every now and then we post something really interesting to the Facebook news feed. We actually have a regular news feed, which we talk about during the other parts of the show. Our Tumblr page, actually, Tumblr. Was it stupidkids.tumblr.com? Um, tons of stuff there. We post probably twenty or thirty news articles a week there of what we're reading. <clears throat> but obviously, not enough time. In the day to post all of that on Facebook, that'd be a little crazy. But um, one of our really fabulous fans and amazing uh, advocate, Emily Drake from Cancer Fight Club in uh, in um, Canada. No, well, the whole country. Well, what's this? Montreal. Yes. One of those cities. Yes. I have no idea. It's something north city. of Vermont. I'm pretty sure it's Montreal. Yeah. Um, she has been writing articles on behalf of the Society for Adolescent and Young Oncology, which is the a clinical sort of part of stupid cancer, a separate organization, but they do all of the academic research around the biology of young adult cancer. Very exciting stuff to move our outcomes uh, ahead from a, an academic side, clinical side. But she wrote an article about how everyone is actually a cancer researcher and trying to sort of debunk what that word research merely means. You guys check a lot. To, uh, uh. Did you guys take a look at it? Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. That was interesting. So what do you think? I sort of agree with her. I thought it was, you know, being involved, you're sort of always learning and finding out, and it's hard not to do some behind-the-scenes research. Well, I mean, uh, Dr. Leonard Sender, who's the founder of SAO, and the original idea man behind every human being, cancer survivor or not, is a cancer researcher, because we all possess the genetic materials for us to understand cancer better. And that's kind of highbrow. (laughs) And difficult to wrap yourself around. But if you really look at <clears throat> the direction that medicine is going, it's it's more about our DNA than what's actually wrong with us. So if you start to put all of our DNA in some giant data bank somewhere, we're all researchers because we're contributing to the larger research. It's a little Ouija for me, but I get what he's coming at. No? Sean's lo- for the, right, on the radio, Sean's staring at me like with giant eyes. I have no idea what you're talking about, Matt. Just thinking like Jurassic Park stuff right now. I just hear DNA and all that good <clears throat> stuff. Remember Mr. DNA in Jurassic Park? Yes. Mm-hmm. He was the cartoon guy. I'm Mr. DNA. Yeah. Yes, you can still find him at Universal Studios. Because they like totally dumbed down the science <laughs> for like the four-year-olds to watch scary dinosaurs who shouldn't have been there in the first place because yeah. it was like rated R or whatever. Anyway. Um, and then there was another story. These keep coming up. Great stories about how young adult cancer is still unknown to the average person and that cancer from a perception is still a disease of babies and old people and <coughs> despite <coughs> all of the massive shifts in awareness and, and access and noise that's been made most people don't know that young adults get cancer more than kids we get cancer seven times more than kids um, but another great article called Debunking the Myth that Young People Don't Get Cancer. 
and obviously preaching to the choir here. Thankfully, thankfully, not good. You guys are, are well and have not gotten cancer, but you get it. How do your do you talk to your friends about this? I mean, they know you work here, but what is are the is it really the blindly ignorant just happily doing their thing? Yeah, um, I had a lot of questions from my friends when I first started working here. They were sort of confused and they didn't realize how big it was. They were like, oh, so you help like a couple hundred people. I'm like, <laughs> no, no, it's much bigger than that. Yeah, it's like a million people. Yeah. Maybe more. Yeah, I I am now almost seven years out of college. Didn't know any young adult survivors, people fighting it uh, until obviously I joined the team here. Um, but what's crazy is since I graduated in this past six years, I know at least two friends that were diagnosed uh, mm-hmm. at Penn State, and it has hit home for a lot of uh, you know friends in my network. You know, it's one of those things where again, I went seven years without knowing that there was another young adult with cancer, and I had it. I went without knowing it. So if if the patient goes without knowing there are people and they're the ones most likely to intersect with them in some place in some time, how can the general public be made aware of this? But yet, I remember when I bought a Subaru, I had never, ever seen a Subaru on the highway until I owned one. Yeah. <laughs> and then like, oh, who buys all these Subarus? But they've been there the whole time. There's that principle <clears throat> that you don't realize you hear something all the time until you learn what it is. Exactly. Exactly. And then just wrapping up the uh, uh, CancerCon, quick update here, Sean. What's going on? Yeah, VIP Club. We're now, let me bring up the number. We're over 47000 We're at $47,620 raised for the young adult cancer movement. So we're super excited that. About is that is incredible. Really incredible. Yeah. So if you'd like to join, VIP Club is a great way to get hands-on and and you know, involved in the success of of the event. So check out cancercon.org and sign up. All right. Well, let's kick off our show. Our first guest, Brandon Schwartz, a 22-year-old cancer survivor diagnosed with leukemia at the age of 13, received three years of chemotherapy. Very excited to welcome him, nine-year long-term pediatric cancer survivor. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Brandon Schwartz. Brandon Hello, good sir. So we we noticed you were calling in from the uh, island of Long. Yes. So I assume you got just as clobbered with snow and negative 35 degree igloo temperatures. Yeah, it's been freezing. Yep. Well, I'm, I'm, thank you for coming on the show. I, I forget how we met. I might have been on Twitter. I meet a lot of interesting people all over the place. But your, your story is inspiring because we, we tend to lose sight of the fact that so many of the children that are diagnosed with cancer live these days, but they live with consequence. So there's two narratives here. There's one like bald kids don't die anymore. Well, they do, but it's very, very low and it's still terrible. But the consequence of not dying gives you an amazing life to lead with issues that are sort of subsequently unknown or known because of all the treatments you had to endure <clears throat> and you are exemplary of that, correct? Yes, definitely. So, do you remember being 12, 13? You have like do you have lots of memories of getting diagnosed? Well, um, that's like what, 7th or 8th grade? Yeah, it was um, I was diagnosed um yeah, 7th grade in the summer. And um it's uh it's something I'll never forget. Um I don't think 
I mean, unless you're like really young, I mean, unless you're like one or two, I mean, it's something you can't forget. Um, yeah, I was uh, I was going to camp, and um, I noticed petechiae on my arms, and um, I went to the doctor, and he said get to the hospital right away, and um, I was there and they did tests, and I mean there were so many doctors, they all wore masks. I mean, I was I was 13, you know, I was I was terrified, and then you know they said they just sat down and said you you have cancer. So I assume did you were your parents around? Were you have siblings at the time? Yeah, yeah, my uh, my parents were around. I was uh, I'm home with my uh, with my father and my brother. Oh, I have an older brother. He uh, and my mom met us there. So talk us through what you can remember from that time. You I mean three years of chemotherapy is nothing to to shy from. That's pretty intense. Did you have traditional like uh, chronic myelogenous leukemia, or? Like uh, acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Do you remember uh, what type? Yes, it was it was ALL. Okay, <clears throat> I think that's the most common form of pediatric leukemia. So, were they? Do you remember if they were they were confident that he'll be fine and other things? Did you need a transplant? Yeah. Did you tolerate the process? Yeah, they were. Um, I mean, they definitely were confident. Um, lucky for me, um, the chemo was um, was pretty effective. So I didn't need a transplant, but um, I was I was unique in the fact that um, you can you know since your your blood count is low, um, your immune system is low, um, you know you're more susceptible to to you know sickness. And I was really bad. I was I mean I was in the hospital like almost every week, sometimes with fever. They said they never saw anything like it. I was constantly in and out of the hospital. Yeah, I, I would imagine that 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 is may or may not be very common for your situation. But you were in school. Did you have to leave school? Did you take months off? Were you homeschooled? How did that process work was, for you? I was homeschooled, and it was it was tough because um, I missed the last year of high school on the first year of uh, sorry, the last year of middle school and the first year of high school, where you know everyone you know got friendly. All the you know different schools, you know, kids came together. So when I was back. I went back, um, so I missed eighth, ninth, and the first half of tenth, and it was it was tough because I mean everyone knew each other, you know I I I didn't and I, and I was still you know having my body get used to, you know coming back and it wasn't as strong as as everyone else. Were you offered um, social services? I mean we we joke that it's hard enough to be 22 with cancer when you're it's hard enough to be 22 when you're not sick. To be a teenager, or a brand new teenager at that, 13 years old and getting cancer. Granted, it was nine years ago, and I'm, I, I can't speak to whether the cyberbullying was nearly existent or as bad back then, but it's got to be really tough to be 13 and deal with this when you have friends and classmates and pubescence and, and the coming of age of that time. Can you tell that story for us? Yeah, it, it was. Um I mean, that's, you know, when you turn 13, you know, your, you know, body, so, you know, your hormones, all the stuff. And, and one thing, like, I mean, I was, when I went back to school, I was, I was short and I was in middle school, I was like the tall one and in high school, I was short. I was, I was quiet. Even, even my voice was, was really higher than the other kids. It was, I had a lot of subconscious issues. Um, it just, 
uh, I don't know, just I felt like almost I was alone, kind of. So in terms of navigating, we talk about that one of the hot button issues now in cancer, and this is this is kind of you and me because I was diagnosed as, as a ped, is this idea of transition. How do you go from being a kid who didn't die from treatments and cancer to a functioning, sustainably contributing young adult who's trying to live their life? And it sounds like this is the nature of your story, is what does it mean to get busy living after having gone through this, were you in any way connected to some kind of navigation that talked to you about some of these issues? And was there any disclosure, I should ask, as to that these things might happen to you short-term and long-term? Um, well, um, I mean, I had a, I mean, it's kind of without saying, but I had a psychiatrist. Um, I was on medication. I still am on medication. Um my family was always there for me, but, um, I mean, I had, I had some friends, but again, it was just, it was just hard. I was just almost like I didn't have a choice. Just go to school, do my best. Um, there was, it was really, it was just really tough. I just, again, it was like I was, you know, by myself, like no one understood what I was going through. It was just, um, the only thing I could have done is just, I just had to keep on moving forward. Did you have um, what, what hospital you treated at? Uh, Schneider's is now Cohen's, but at right. the time it was Schneider's Children's Hospital. Were there other children around your age during that time that you bonded with outside of anyone from school or your family? Um, not really. No, um, most of the kids were either most of them were younger. Um, there was a couple even older, but I never really. Um, no, I, I never really. Uh, I had, had friends that went to the hospital or anything like that. Um, there was like our therapy program. Um, it was, I mean, I hate to say this, but it was, it was terrible. Um, it did not help me at all. Um, and my mom was the director of our therapy, so I knew, I knew about it. It did not help. Um, really, what helped me is, is, it was my family. I mean, my brother hooked up the uh, Xbox to the TV. Um, we watched movies together. It was just, it was just my family. Well, wow. I, I mean, you are you are speaking the story of the majority of young adults with cancer, and that does include teenagers, this notion of sheer and utter isolation during the process where you do not feel that you're being treated like a person. We, we, we speak to a lot of parents who are young in their 20s who have like birth to eight-year-olds going through chemotherapy, and obviously those kids are very strongly coddled for their quality of life to make them a little more desensitized um, to the experience. But you didn't have that at 13. It seems like everything kind of drops off for teenagers. Yeah, definitely. I would, I would say so. So let's jump um, forward now. You're nine years out. You are facing some chronic issues. How is your life these days? Um, I mean, it's, definitely uh it's coming together um i'm still you know suffering through depression anxiety recently i've developed panic disorder that isn't fun um so there's i mean there's all these long-lasting effects um my strength obviously the better but it's nowhere near a regular 22 year old um i guess that's going to come with with more time um but i mean i've i have 
I don't have a load of friends, but I have, I have, you know, it's better to have a little friends that are, that I've known for 10 years. Um, I don't know, but the thing is, the most important thing is I feel like a, like a person now. I didn't feel it's much different than, you know, when I was back in school trying to catch up. Now I feel like I'm, I'm more with everyone. Well, you have a million friends now because the young adult cancer community is all of us. And that's what this is about. And, and that's why we have you on the mm -hmm. show, because your story matters on so many different levels that young adults can get cancer. Children survive to have issues. And this fundamental civil liberty to not be alone is so important. And I think that speaks to what I want to jump to next, which is you're endeavoring to start a very noble effort to sort of rectify some of those injustices for people like you. Can you talk to us about your, your senior project called My Fight Club? Yes. Um, yes, so um, I'm, uh, I majored in uh, design and visual communications, and um, our senior part of the class is a year long. We had to come up with an idea that, was, that we were really passionate about. And um, at first, I had nothing to do with cancer. I actually, um, I'm a drummer, and I wanted to start some kind of music studio. But when I pitched the idea, I mentioned that music was there for me. It was, it was therapy for me. And they said that after I, after I started with that I cancer and, and I love music, they said that they, um, they were lost, that it just got boring. So they told me to do something with cancer. And um, that's when everything kind of came together. I... Uh, what it is, it's, um, it's an activity center, um, basically just for kids to come together, meet new people, have fun, and just leave cancer behind them. Um, it has uh, music, art, therapy, writing, cooking, movies, games, and sports. I basically took everything that helped me and shoved it into this place. Um, also, um, there's a medical center and a lounge basically cafeteria, um, and what also makes this unique besides the uh, uh, center itself is the mobile unit, which is for uh, patients and outpatients who can't come to the center who aren't strong enough. They would pretty much bring the activity there and do it with that, with that patient. So in terms of pragmatism, this is a self-functioning third-party experience. This is in the hospital or in a Winnebago that you pull up, Talk to us about how this actually gets implemented. So um, this would be a, uh, a separate uh, center, a separate place. Um, the, only, the only time like the hospital would get involved is with the mobile unit. The mobile unit will go to the hospitals, you know, when they kind of come to the center. But this is a separate, separate facility. Um, that's, um, I mean, you know, again, this is just an idea, but I thought about I would want it to be on Long Island, um, in a public area. Um, I don't know, almost like a um, like a modern a modern facility. I don't I don't know. Um, I mean, I even created like a model for it. Um, yeah, a lot of a lot of work went into do this. Went now, into this, we had to <clears throat> basically um, take up every aspect down to the nail. It was it was. Uh, very, uh, very detailed. So the, the high concept for this is really like a rec center for young adults, teenagers and young adults with cancer to improve their quality of life and give them something that you wish you had when you were sick. 
Yes, exactly. I mean, a lot of it is based on what I had and what helped me. But yeah, there's there's a lot of things that I didn't have that I wish I had. And this is going to be a, a nonprofit organization. This business. Yep. Exactly. Nonprofit. And where are you at in that process? Because I can tell you, as a nonprofit founder, it's it's a very interesting uh, market sector to develop success in. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm basically. It's just right now. It's an idea. I haven't really gotten anywhere with it, except uh, this far where I'm talking about it. Um, but it's something that, um, you know, I have a, I have a job, but um, this would be if I could get the spelling. I mean, I would be so happy with my life. This is this is what I want to do. No, I agree. I think it's an extraordinary idea. I don't think there exists a sort of extramural. I'm going to call. I I don't want to do any disservice to it by calling it a rec center, but I, to me, that's it's kind of like where I would have wanted to go to just connect with people like me and and go to a specific location that I know I will feel like not threatened and I will feel safe and amongst my peers it, it makes a lot of sense and <clears throat> in terms of you know this does exist in cancer centers but it's always managed and moderated and they try to do their best to add these things to the integrative experience of survivorship but most people don't want to go back to the hospital for that they want to go somewhere else for that. So I really think you're onto something here. So so what is your ultimate goal? Like if you had a blue sky budget and everyone just threw money at you, what would be your your goal for this? Um well um I guess I would start off slow. Um I'd start off with the multi unit probably. Um see how that works out. Because, um, I mean this is this whole thing is basically it's basically in my imagination. So this would be so. This place is huge. This place would be so really expensive realistically. But um, I mean, I I have like this this vision of of walking in and seeing seeing cancer patients and and survivors just laughing and and playing games and having um, volunteers there and staff members. It's just um, it's something I would I would just really love because. Um, I just, I just want people. I want to help people that that went through what I went through. I, I understand, and and that's um that's my biggest goal right now. So, is this uh, where you see yourself in a few years, or is the career that you have right now something you're very you're very satisfied with? Um, no, I I definitely not satisfied now. I mean, I'm a designer, but this is um. This is my, uh, without sounding cheesy, this is my baby in a way. Um, I mean, I designed, I designed everything. I designed the building. I designed the uh, the logo, everything. And um, this is where, yes, I love, I love design and you know, I like my job. But um, this is what I want to do. I would say this is number one. Well, I'm really, really excited for you. We have a, just a minute or two left. What are your, um, <clears throat> like, what's your message? to other young cancer survivors. You, you've gone through so much. You have, you're very articulate. You're able to really express some of the injustices and the inequities that you went through. What's your message to the next 13-year-old with, with leukemia? I would say that, um, yes, it's tough. And, and yes, my, um, my mom actually had cancer too, and um, she told me a quote. No one will understand what you go through unless they experience it themselves. 
And yes, sometimes it'll feel like you're alone, but family is, is key with this. Your family will be there. You just have to stick through this, be strong, and and just try to make your lives as, as best as you can, as happy as you can, you know, do do what you love to do. Music was there for me. Video games was there for me. Um, I mean, my, my dogs were there for me. Do do everything you can to make to make your lives as fun and and as as just as best as you can. Well, really inspiring words. Brandon Schwartz is a nine-year survivor of ALL, diagnosed at the age of thirteen. He is uh, working on a dream project called My Fight Club, which I'm affectionately calling a rec center for young adult cancer outside of the hospital. I really. Wish you the best of luck with this, and thank you so much for sharing your story with us on the Stupid Cancer Show. Thank you, okay. and thank you for having me. All right, Brandon Schwartz, everyone. All right, and now the news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Head on over to events.stupidcancer.org. That's events. .stupidcancer.org, your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events happening nationwide because something might be existing in your neck of the woods and we don't want you missing out. We've got some meetups happening all over the country. We've got some CancerCon uh, educational workshops happening. If you yourself would like to start a Stupid Cancer Meetup, go to stupidcancer.org slash meetup. Cancer is lonely, and we've got a cure for that. Yes, we're talking about Instapeer, our free mobile app that brings instant anonymous one-on-one peer support for anyone affected by cancer. Visit instapeer.org and sign up to join the beta testing community. We've launched the Newsfeed Aggregator on Pinterest for all the articles, blogs, and stories we couldn't possibly have the time to tell you on social media. So check out what we're reading and recommending 24-7, and don't miss a beat, at stupidcancer.org slash feed. Cancer is expensive. We're proud to announce CancerMadeMeBroke.com, a national partnership with GiveForward, the number one platform to start a medical fundraiser. You didn't ask to get sick, and your community wants to help. Visit CancerMadeMeBroke.org to learn more and start your personal fundraiser today. And finally, it's always a good time to stock up on Stupid Cancer gear. Visit StupidCancerStore.org anytime to stay nice and cool or nice and warm with all new products and styles to choose from, including the brand new... Stupid Cancer Retro White T-Shirt. Now back in stock after many, many years. We've got awesome skateboards and Flip the Cancer Bird, our latest plushy mascot. That's stupidcancerstore.org. Be proud and wear Stupid Cancer. And that is your Stupid Stupid Cancer Cancer News. Okay, in the live segment here tonight, Jacita Giles is uh, an American actress and model raised in Roxbury, Massachusetts, worked on several films, including the indie trilogy Thick, The Social Network Veep, and House of Cards. She walked in both D.C. and Boston Fashion Week and is a survivor of ovarian cancer at the age of nine. We'll learn more about that. Olympia Lee, young adult cancer survivor, women's health educator, labor and birth assistant, integrative care navigator, patient advocate, yoga and meditation instructor, writer and model. I'm going to add just Navy SEAL to that just because. And uh, Juwan Bazell is a choreographer, singer, dancer, runway coach, among other things. He's looking to make change in the world, being uh, one at a time with his many, many talents. Please welcome to the show those three people I just said. 
<laughs> Gotta love tech issues live on the live on the show here. All right, anyway, welcome, guys. Really, really excited to have you on the air. I'm really impressed with your project. I can't wait to hear your stories. But I really do want to start with um, with Jacita because uh, ovarian cancer at the age of nine is is that's a talking point, and I think we could we could that's a really great place to start this this interview. It was hard, and it was scary. You know, I was very young. Um, I remember just waking up one morning, having a lot of pain in my stomach and feeling like a hard lump and going to my mother and my mother taking me to the hospital and I had surgery that day. Um, they removed my left ovary and then I was supposed to have chemo and they showed me a baby doll with um, a hole cut in the neck and a tube in it, you know, to kind of show me where my tube was going to go, where my port would go. and you know, my mom made the decision that instead of doing chemo, since the tumor was removed, we would just follow a vegan diet, and she did, like, this whole holistic approach to everything. And for the most part, I still keep pretty much a plant-based diet, but I've been cancer-free since I was nine, so that's 20 years now. So our, our um, the guest on this show in the Survivor Spotlight uh, was diagnosed at the age of 13 with leukemia. Mm-hmm. So this is keeping in, in an uh, un you know, an unanticipated theme of childhood cancer survivors that have grown up now and that there's like 400,000 Americans who are now in their 20s and 30s who had cancer in their single digits and teens and you're now, you are one of them in case you didn't realize that. But but what is it like to be nine years old? And what is nine is what, uh, fourth grade? Um, It was... It was really scary. I know that afterwards there was a long, it was, it took me a long time to kind of get over my fear of being sick. It was pretty much anything that felt wrong. If it were a stomach ache, if it were kind of any kind of sickness, I automatically thought that, you know, my mind automatically went to the worst case scenario. So there was a period of time where after the cancer and after I was back home and had started going back to school, that my mom was taking me to the hospital a lot, and nothing would be wrong, but I was just scared. Well, we'll get to Olympia in just a second on her story, but how old are you now? I'm 29. Okay, so 20 years later, congratulations. I'll be celebrating 20 years this December myself. <laughs> it's a nice number to have. Yeah, it's a nice number. We're in the 20-year club. Uh, are you dealing with any consequences of having had that cancer so many years ago in terms of fertility or, or cognitive function or, or deficits from chemotherapy? Um, I didn't have chemo. I just had the, the tumor removed. But um, as far as fertility and all that, I mean, as far as I know, I can still have children. I haven't tried to. So I guess we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But um, I, it's been a lot of, I guess a lot of it is the mental aspect of it, being afraid that it'll come back. Um, I do have a lot of scars, so kind of getting over feeling like you're marked or scarred in some kind of way, and right. people asking you questions about your scars, like you know, a lot of people ask me if I had if I had a child, if I had a cesarean section, and I'm like, no, I had cancer. That's what that scars from. Right. So a lot of stuff like that. And and that's really a young adult, you know, it's not unique to people with cancer and scars, but it's kind of an awkward thing to have to have that conversation with somebody that sees you in an intimate setting for the first time? When do you disclose it? How do you talk about it? What happens if they run away? Like all these 
these things that we deal with when we're young, which are hard enough when you're not sick, when you have these these sort of these these badges of honor that you didn't ask for. Um, exactly. Yeah. It's really awkward, especially when you're like getting into your teenage years and people just assume that you must be like a young mom or something. And it's like, no, I had cancer. And especially being someone who pursues modeling and acting and you're kind of putting your body out there on display. And sometimes I feel like I have to explain my scars and I'm finally getting to a point where I just kind of let them be and I don't explain them. And if someone asks me, then I'll explain it. But it definitely leads to a lot of awkward moments and people don't really understand kind of everything that comes with the scars. And, you know, when they ask you the question, what kind of feelings it might bring up to you and how it can make you feel a little self-conscious. Right. And, and, Mm -hmm. you know, I think by 20 years, you're pretty safe that you could probably get hit by a bus and get cancer instead. So, you know, once, once FedEx starts to really bother you, then you know, you're over, over your, your fears of getting sick again. Um, but I do want to jump to Olympia because another young adult survivor, two years out, I've been around the block. I've never heard of sinonasal cancer. I'd love you to tell us what this is, how you're diagnosed, and how you're doing now. I'm doing well now. Um, so, yeah, the sinonasal cancer, not a lot of people know anything about it because it's so rare. Um, I like to tell people it's so rare it doesn't even have a name. It's just undifferentiated. Um, and... Sort of what Chase I was saying about the scars, you know, it was in my um, sinuses and it had kind of broken through the dura, um, which is protecting the brain. And so they ended up having to do a pretty extensive craniofacial resection going into the brain, into the face, into the sinuses. And as a young adult, um, as a woman, to have such extensive surgery on my face was really hard to deal with um thinking a lot about what it meant um for my future and how my face was going to be afterwards um was one of the harder things to come to terms with from that right and of course that having something on your face is a lot different than having something on your abdomen or i mean mine was in the back of my head so i could wear like hats but this is yeah, yeah this right. is something we have we have a lot of friends that have like sarcoma of the jaw or tongue cancer and it's definitely something that is is massively important to be able to talk about and to be able to be confident that this is part of your life now. And when you meet somebody right. or talk to somebody, whether it's a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a partner, or just a friend, even in business, you don't want to be looked at all weird. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, this is our story. This is really important. So, so let's jump yeah. to Juwan because like, you're the, you're the guy behind this amazing, uh, Alive Again project. You are truly, I just read your bio, your in-depth bio, um, man of many trades, Renaissance gentleman. Yeah. Uh, tell us who you, who are you, and how'd you get involved with these lovely ladies? Say that again, I'm sorry. Who are you, and how'd you get involved with these lovely ladies? Uh, well, um, my name is Juwan. <laughs> um, I am really focusing on my dance right now. I, um, have performed uh, with Momentum Dance and Dance Theater, which also has a dance studio, Momentum Dance and Fitness, right on Capitol Hill in D.C. Um, We just offer a lot of different um, classes, dance classes and fitness classes. I, myself, I do the hip-hop class, and I also teach a heels class. Kind of different, a guy in heels, but um, yeah, I do that. Dude, I, I live in New York. I see that every day on like Sixth Avenue. 
I'm sorry. I said I live in New York. I see guys in heels on Sixth Avenue every day. Yeah, you're right about that. <laughs> but um, yeah. Well, I was ex- um, featured in the Express paper as well about um, my class that I started. Um, what else? Well, how did you come into the lives of these well, just, e- extraordinary young ladies? Yeah, was alive again. Chasita is a dear friend of mine. I met her. She came to D.C. and I met her through a show that we were doing. Um, and we kind of we kind of like connected uh, well with each other. So from there we built a friendship and. I don't know. I guess she, well, to see that, like when she was just talking about the, uh, I guess the insecurities and things like that, I felt like at that time she was a little down and I actually kind of helped, you know, bring her out of the funk of whatever she was going through. And I'm, I believe that's why she brought me onto the project because I never taught anybody how to walk. I guess it was just a natural gift maybe, but, um, I guess because of the confidence that I had probably brought out in her, maybe she saw that, maybe she felt like I can do it with the other um, people within uh, this project. And when we did that, it, I, I was surprised myself at the way it turned out. I was, you know, I, I don't know. It just naturally happened. I just went along with it, leading the people and how, learning how to walk. And it wasn't just about learning how to walk. It was just building confidence and, you know, being yourself. And this this project has a very special affinity for me. I'm a concert pianist, and I was when I was diagnosed, I lost the ability to play. I had to rehabilitate myself for five years, and then I released some CDs back when CDs were actually CDs you bought in a store a thousand years ago. But this notion of like the art of your survivorship and how did that how is that reflected through through music, through dance, through art, through sculpting, through painting? What does that look like? What is the creative process to get busy living? and get confident and talk about your story and express yourself through any medium that mm-hmm. makes people think a little differently than just a conversation at a conference table is it, so inspiring to me. So let's talk to, let's go back to, uh, to uh, Chisada, the, um, the origins of the Alive Again fashion show. Uh, where did that stem from? Or did that come from just a brainstorming collaboration amongst the three of you? Okay. Um, so... And I have, like, the hardest name ever, but it's Tosita. <laughs> I'm never going to get it right. You're going to have to pre-forgive me for the duration Cha-cha. of the interview. Chasita. Or Cha-Cha. You can just call me Cha-Cha. That's what my friends call me. All right, Cha-Cha. I'm going to write that down. There you go. But, um, <laughs> so just to kind of to start, like, echoing off of what Juwan said, when me and him met, I had just moved to D.C. I was kind of in a very, kind of like in a funk, in a really, like, low point and was really wanting to get out and perform more, but was feeling really shy, really insecure about a lot of things, my scars being one of them. And I took a dance class with Juwan, and he started teaching me some basic ballet. And um, and then coming into D.C. and kind of like people asking me to do runway shows and me wanting to try and do D.C. Fashion Week, I came to Juwan because he had, you know, was showing me ballet and, after taking a few classes with him, I auditioned for a musical and I got in the musical. Whereas before, when I had auditioned for a musical, first coming into D.C., I didn't get into it. So I saw kind of how he helped me kind of open up more and feel more confident and how he really just kind of believed in me and saw something in there. And it, it was hard. He was really hard on me, but it was in a very loving way. And so on top of teaching me some of the basic kind of ballet stuff, he started teaching me, runway walking 
and he really helped bring this like kind of fierce attitude out of me where I started to feel confident walking in heels. So I, I practiced with him for, what was it, like maybe three weeks before the auditions for DC Fashion Week. We would just spend like an hour or two just walking back and forth in the dance studio in heels. And so, you know, he felt like I was ready. So then I went to the audition and I got in DC Fashion Week and I was completely excited. And during one of the shows for DC Fashion Week, there was a model that I overheard talking about her hair and how her hair was just starting to grow back. And she started telling us how she um, had lymphoma and had survived from lymphoma and, you know, she had lost all her hair. And I was like, oh, wow, I'm a cancer survivor too. And I thought, how unique is that that there's these two girls who are cancer survivors that are walking in DC Fashion Week. And if you would have just looked at us from the outside, you wouldn't even know that we were cancer survivors. So after DC Fashion Week was over, I started thinking about it and, you know, the idea just couldn't get out of my head that, you know, I really wanted to put on a fashion show where all of the models were cancer survivors, where there was no age requirement, there was no height requirement. The only requirement is that you be a, either currently going through your treatment or that you are a cancer survivor. So I reached out to the Prevent Cancer Foundation and they loved the idea and I partnered with them. So when we put on the show, 100% of ticket sales will go to the Prevent Cancer Foundation. And I just have been kind of planning and putting all this stuff together. And it's been about a year now, but it's a tremendous amount of work. And I want it to be a really great show. So I've been taking my time kind of putting together the promo video, which was a lot of fun. We had a rehearsal where all the models came and Juwan came and he gave them some runway coaching. And I, I just let everyone know that as we get closer to the show, we're going to have more rehearsals, and Juwan will be there to make sure everyone feels confident in heels. And it really is, like he said, I kind of thought of him because I thought about how he helped me feel more confident, and I figured if he helped me, he could probably do the same for these other men and women and help them feel more confident because they've all gone through cancer. Some of them, their hair hasn't grown back all the way. Some of them are still sick right now, and... I know he helped kind of bring me out of my shell a lot, and I wanted to bring him into the project so that he could do the same for the other models. Mm -hmm. Hi, this is Mallory. Um, I have a question. How did you guys go about finding all of the models? Was it a difficult task? Did it take a lot of time? Because I, I just finding as many people as you have even on the video, that's kind of impressive. <laughs> It wasn't easy. I actually, I met Olympia. Actually, Olympia, where did you see the info for the model call? It was at the Young Adult Cancer Survivors Group with Erin. Oh, um, okay. So. On Facebook. Got it. So, so we actually, out. yeah, sorry, there's, there's a Young Adult Cancer Survivors Group here in D.C. that's run by the Smith Center for Healing and the Arts. Oh, okay. And, Love those guys. Um, yeah, and so every third Sunday of the month we meet up and so there is a lot of um talk about that yeah and there's Facebook and emails and program coordinator put it out there for all of us um to reach out to chase it out if we were interested yeah I I was involved with the Smith Center back when they were called the Smith Farm uh oh, wow. when yeah. Shanti <laughs> Norris started it like 10 years yeah. ago yeah oh, that's great uh, so I, DC was actually the very first chapter of stupid cancer uh back in 2007 
And that was the place we would go to for our, our meetups, if not there, then some bar somewhere. But we always, always wind up back at at the Smith Farm. Um, and I'm always oh going to call God. it Smith Farm. But, what you know, it's, so I this is even more um, coincidence and all good stuff. So to Mallory's point, though, <clears throat> I would imagine once the young adult survivors and patients found out about this, they flocked. I did see a lot <laughs> of people on there. How does one go about... Um, I guess this is maybe more for Juwan. How does one go about getting runway quality-ish people from regular, ordinary people? <laughs> um, I, Lots of liquor? I would say that again. Lots of liquor? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> that could help. But no, really, um, I don't think it was about getting runway quality people it was kind of finding their selves in it was just being who they were in the way they walk and, you know, putting their personality into it. And I just kind of shaped it and tweaked it a little bit. like gave them a little pointers. It wasn't really about taking it, trying to make them the supermodel or anything like that. They're already, you know, I hope they think in their minds that they're like as good as a, a supermodel or, you know, as bad as, a supermodel has fears to whatever words you want to use. But yeah, it wasn't about trying to make them into something else, just keeping who they are and perfecting that. I've always, sorry, go ahead. Cut you off. Was I cutting someone off? Uh, no, I was done. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I've always had this, um, this, uh, so you guys kind of are doing something that I've always felt was something that hadn't been done at all or, or well for that matter. Cause there have been plenty of fashion shows supporting cancer but to stick a bunch of cancer patients on a runway, I was involved in this program in Nashville, maybe, I don't know, 2006, 2007, um, that basically did this in a smaller form. And it was extraordinary to actually see that level of confidence that these survivors get from the boost of being put on stage, basically, and showcased yeah, around. Somebody on that, on that platform that probably never has experienced that before, that that's where the boost really comes from. Right, it's, it's that like empowerment. Being on that level, and, you know, everybody's watching. It's like, okay, like it's a, a sense of accomplishment when you're out there. Right, and it, it speaks to such a message about young adult cancer and, and putting yourself out there in the face of adversity. There's another project that I, I would put this in the same category of called the Colander which puts a lot of young, it's basically a 12-month calendar, and it's a pinup calendar of young adults who've had colon cancer and these massive scars all over their body from their surgeries, wow. and they're wearing, mm -hmm. like, bikinis and, and, and Borat thongs or some weird fun things, and it's they're <laughs> out there just showing themselves to the world. It's just so empowering, and that's, again, I have a really um, a personal passion for this project. When, when is it happening and where? So the, the fashion show is going to happen this spring, and it's going to be in the D.C. metro area. Um, I have, I've been looking at a few different venues. I've been looking over in um, Silver Spring at the Silver Spring Civic Center. Right now what I'm focused on is fundraising because once we raise – I have a Kickstarter that's out right now. And the short link to the Kickstarter, if there's a short bit.ly link to it, it's – bit.ly backslash kick cancer 2015 all you know one word and so once we raise the funds for the kickstarter 
then I'll secure my venue. But the show is definitely going to happen this spring, this year. And pretty much everyone stay tuned for the final details. But the, the big push right now is all of the fundraising. Because once you have your budget kind of secure, then you can really solidify all the rest of the details. Well, yeah. I, I hope I can make it. Um, I really would like to be there. I know you, you know that our spring is filled with our international conference, CancerCon, and we're kind of yeah. book solid. Like, take let's do 600 attendees that are all runway models in Denver. That's not going to happen. But I would, I'd love the idea <laughs> to come down there or at least have some of our community uh, participate or, or be in attendance when you're doing this. Well, we also have a wonderful relationship with Prevent Cancer Foundation as well. And oh, awesome. And they were actually on the last podcast of this show last week. So... Um, huge fans of what they do. It's a great message to put out there. Uh, let me go back to Olympia for a second because um, I'm really interested in this mind-body relationship people have with cancer and how many different people find many different ways to mitigate the stress and the anxiety and the toxicity and the energy uh-huh. that this puts into your life. And you're barely two years out and you've adopted a very sort of inspirational philosophy about managing your spirituality and your karma around this disease. Can you tell us more about restorative yoga, Buddhist philosophies, all these, these amazing things in your profile, um, and how you live your life that way? Sure. Um, well, you know, I practiced yoga and meditation before I got diagnosed, um, and it was mostly just for um, help with focusing and getting through school and things like that. But when I started to go through treatment, um, I was kind of, you know, it's funny, the theme of silver lining um, is just something that I tend to do um, whenever I find hardship. Um, and so I looked up, um, you know, what ways I could support myself through treatment with more of these sort of mind-body therapies. And I found the Smith Center for Healing of the Arts. And they had weekly yoga classes that were specifically for cancer survivors and art projects to sort of delve into the purpose and meaning behind living your life, whether you have an illness or anything that's going on in life, um, how to sort of find the, the larger um, purpose and meaning that you provide for yourself throughout it. And um and yoga really helped me so much during treatment. You know, I would go and funnily enough, because my kind of cancer was so rare, my doctor, my oncologist said, you know, we've had 12 cases in the past five years. Like we are open to all things that you are willing to try. And um, so he was very open to doing more integrative approaches, trying acupuncture, meditation, stress relief, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, he was very supportive um, and almost encouraged, you know, would would encourage me each week. You know, what are you doing now? How are you supporting yourself? And oh, how's the meditation group going? What about the writing and things like that? So um, it turned out to be kind of a blessing. And restorative yoga really gets to these deep, deep states of relaxation in the mind and body. Um, and science has shown that when we get into those deeply relaxed states that is when the most healing occurs at a cellular level. Um, so it's one of the best things that we can do, especially when it's something so stressful like chemo or surgery. The body is just, you know, 
firing so much adrenaline and cortisol and all sorts of inflammatory hormones. And so when you're able to counterbalance that by getting into deeply, deeply relaxed states through restorative yoga or meditation or progressive muscle relaxation, there's tons of mind-body techniques that people can try. Um, it's actually really supporting our body's healing mechanism. The cells can literally be restructured, retuned, um, in ways that doesn't happen when we're just going along our daily lives. And then you go to Taco Bell. And then you go to Taco Bell, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I've never been to Taco Bell, but I've <laughs> some people. Jawan, have, have you been I involved in... Sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry, Olivia. Finish up your thought. I was going to say, you know, when I found the Alive Again, when the Alive Again Project um, and reached out, you know, I had had some modeling experience but never runway experience. And when we were doing the first um, sort of rehearsal, I remember some, you know, all of us are kind of like, ah, like, what are we doing? Why are we here? Like, I don't even know what I'm, you know, I'm not here for this. And I remember at one point, Juwan was like, you know, guys, like, if you survive cancer, like, you know, bring the test up, like, get, you know, here you are, like, this is awesome, you know, and just like this, 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 mo- this model of like, you know, I think a lot of us young adults in the society are constantly being pressured by a lot of standards, whether we go through cancer or not. Um, and so in order to really find this deeper sense of confidence, like, hey, you know what? Yeah, I made it, and I'm here, and I'm putting myself out there. And it kind of everybody, I just remember after that, he was like, all right, putting the music on, like everybody shut their stuff. No, no worries about, like, how you're walking or which way you're facing or whatever. Just go, do it, you know, and everybody lit up in the room. Everyone's like laughing, yeah, coming remember, live, yeah. you know. It was awesome, yeah. Who cares? I've never done this in heels, but I am walking and I'm here and this is exciting. And um, yeah, it was really, that was really healing in itself. It's incredible. I mean, again, I, I, I have a real personal interest in, uh, in, in this project. Joanne, have you ever been involved in a project of this nature before? Um, no, not exactly. Like I said, this is all kind of new to me. And and like I said, it was something that I knew that came naturally to me, but I never really pursued, which was kind of, well, not only just the um, model walking and walking in heels, but I don't know, um, I guess helping people build confidence, bringing out that light in people. And uh, I mean, I've done, I've done projects with like dancing and, you know, like vocal projects or musicals and stuff like that, but another, no, nothing like this, like not an um, event like this. So, uh, Ch- Chisita, I said that right, correctly, finally? Yes, you did. All right, yay, <laughs> big applause for me. Um, I have here in your bio that you were part of a book photo project called the Flawed Beauty Project. That sounds very interesting. Can you tell us about that? Yes, the Flawed Beauty Project. So there's this photographer um, in Boston which I'm originally, I'm from, um, I'm from Boston. And she is, she put together this, um, it's kind of like a, I guess, a a photo book, a photographer's book. And she, she wanted to highlight everyone's flaws, like people's different flaws that they have. Her name is um, Valerie Anselm. And so, and it's on Facebook too, it's just called Flawed Beauty Project, and that's the Facebook page. So, I have, aside from my cancer scars, I have scars on my legs from, I also have arthritis, I have osteoarthritis, and 
is kind of crazy. Actually, in two weeks, I'm having a total hip replacement, which is not something I put in my um. I guess bio. I have that. <laughs> well, hips are overrated, so you don't need those. Yeah, they. I mean, you know, and when I get my new hip, like it's. If you think I can model, wait till you see me model with this new hip. (laughs) (laughs) But so I have these scars on my legs from um, the different surgeries I've had. So we did this photo shoot, and I kind of, I just showed all my scars. I showed the scar on my abdomen. And I think actually if you go to the Flawed Beauty Project Facebook page, the cover photo is, that's actually my stomach with the scar down the middle of the abdomen. And I showed the scars on my thighs as well. And so it's a photo book that is just about highlighting what we perceive as our flaws and kind of embracing them. And she did a little interview of all of us where we talked about what our scars meant to us. And it was just all about, um, it was just all about kind of being comfortable with, with what you look like and kind of dismissing the beauty standards and these ideas of perfection and having the perfect body and having an unblemished body because how many of us really have a body that's free of scars? I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to find someone that doesn't have a single mark on their body. Yeah. Right, agreed. All right, so we've got a minute left here. I want to just take a moment to really reflect on the gravity of what this project really means to the young adult cancer movement itself as an art project, as a creative experience, as a message to the public, as a um, just just a, an attendee experience. There's a lot of different components to this that I'm really excited about. So let's take a minute for each of you to tell us what is your vision for this project and what do you hope to achieve from it? Let's start with Jacita. So I guess the perfect, and this will kind of lead into the song that I want you guys to play at the end of this, is to kind of take this, what I want to do with this project is to take this image of perfect, and I really want to change it, and I kind of want to meld it with this idea people have in their mind about what is a cancer survivor. You know, usually when people talk about cancer and they talk about being a survivor, and you see the commercials for cancer causes, it's usually like low light, sad music, everyone's sick, you can see the small violins playing, and it's just the saddest thing ever. And it's kind of like really heavy. And I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, I'm a survivor, and a lot of the things which brought me out of all of the things I've gone through in my life is kind of remembering that I'm still alive, even though I'm going through this, and doing all the things that still make me happy, and realizing that even though I'm not perfect and even though life's not perfect, kind of everything is perfect exactly the way that it is and the way that it's unfolding because all of the things that happen to you in your life kind of really form who you're going to be as you get older and and through your life. So what I really hope for this project is for people to stop being so hard on themselves and to stop being so judgmental of themselves and to stop thinking that just because something happened to you, it has to define you for the rest of your life. You know, you may have had cancer or you may have had whatever it is that you had. And, yes, it may have changed your life, but it doesn't have to become your life. You know, I am a cancer survivor, and I'm proud of that, but I'm a lot of other things, too. I act, I model, I sing, I dance. You know, I, I have dreams of being a philanthropist. I'm all of these things. And so the song I wanted you guys to play at the end of this is called Perfect. It's by Deborah Bond. Um, and Deborah Bond has a band called Third Logic. Deborah Bond and Third Logic are UK soul chart topping band. They have three albums, several music videos on VH1 Soul, 
they kind of have like a soulful, jazzy sound, and their music is really positive and uplifting, and it's about life and it's about love. And, you know, Deborah is my mentor, and she really hopped on this project and kind of has been coaching me through everything. And I think that the song Perfect really embodies what I want everyone to get out of this, which is just that life is perfect the way that it is, no matter what's going on in your life. And just stop being so hard on yourself. And remember to live your best life now, no matter what's going on in it. You know what I mean? Well said. Olympia? I think that for young adults everywhere, this project shows that that you define yourself. And if you wanted to be a model and you got face surgery or you want to be an actress and you have to get a hip replaced like whatever it is you know that it's possible and there's people there who will support you through it and um it's a really empowering process to be able to realize that cancer doesn't have to hold you back or whatever it is any limitations are all self-imposed and so it's always exciting to be able to jump into something new and and know that um yeah, that other people out there are doing it too, and uh, you can, anyone can. Um, so, yeah, I hope that people who see, even if they know nobody, you know, even if some young adult who's going through cancer treatment doesn't want to be a model or an actress, wants to be a space, you know, navigator or something, and is unsure what that means after after survival or after treatment's over, like, you know, there's ways to figure it out, and it's totally possible to still go after all of the dreams. Um, yeah, there's always going to be support out there to put yourself out there, I think. I think this shows it. And final word to Juwan, and then we'll cut away to the song. Okay, well, um, I just hope that everybody, what they take from this project is, you know, that we all are special and we all have a light within us. And some of our lights are a little dimmer than others, but I think everybody should know that they can shine just as bright as anyone else. Um, it's just the quality of being who you are. I mean, it's just about being who you are and not... It's kind of picking back off of what Chesita said, not allowing your situation to be who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and loving yourself. It all starts with love. Yeah. Strong um, words. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. Aww. Well, we, we've been talking with Chesita Giles, Olympia Lee, and Juwan Bazell of the Alive Again uh, Fashion Show Project uh, in conjunction with uh, Prevent Cancer Foundation, our, our good friends at Prevent Cancer Foundation. Uh, the Facebook channel is facebook.com slash... Uh, actually, you, what is your Facebook channel or is it just the Kickstarter? I'm sorry. For the... For the, um, for the fashion, fashion show. show? The Fashion Show Facebook page is facebook.com backslash Alive Again Fashion Show. There you go. Alive Again Fashion Show. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we'll, we'll say goodbye and we'll, we'll hit, up the, uh, hit up the song here. Uh, uh, Chisada, one more time, who is the artist and the song is called Perfect? The artist is Deborah Bond and her band is called Third Logic. Well, thank you guys for coming on the radio show. I look thank forward you. to your success. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Okay. You. Bye-bye. All right, you got it. Here it is. Perfect.
every single moment it occurs to me more and more how grateful I should be for grace and for love I almost start crying when I think of the little things never take the time we underestimate what's going on sometimes I get a startling joy the light comes on and sadness is destroyed I even have the nerve to of love that we're even here We wake up every morning still to find a reason to complain When you take the time it takes to consider it Everything's perfect The way that it is Well there you have it Small taste of the song Perfect Coming up at the uh, amazing quality song there. It's a good song. All right, that is our show. Now it is time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. All right, folks, that's our show, the 335th episode of the Stupid Cancer Show. We had a, hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. I'd like to thank our guests, Brandon Schwartz, Jacita Giles, Olympia Lee, and Juwan Vizel. Reminder that the Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity that comprehensively addresses young adult cancer online at stupidcancer.org. If you haven't already, visit stupidcancershow.org and never miss an episode by signing up for our newsletter and subscribing to the free podcast with any podcast app on your mobile device or logging on to SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, or Blog Talk Radio. Remember, folks, it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Coming to you from the chemo deck, and on behalf of myself, Kenny Kane, Mallory Rivera, Sean Shapiro, and our whole team here at the Stupid Cancer Show, thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next broadcast. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. Soldiers are serving multiple tours, so... Uh...